Shri Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai Shri Shri Gaurada Madhava Ki Jai Gaur Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai Gaur Premanandi Good morning everyone, welcome <laughs> So we are in the, uh, in Gaudiya time Gaudiya referring to our particular tradition of Vedanta Gaudiya Vedanta a devotional form of Vedanta that um, rose prominently in, in Godadesh or West Bengal in the form of the person of Sri Chaitanya who empowered his uh, followers to expound upon the particular understanding that uh, he really embodied of the uh, sacred texts of the Hindus, which is, at the time, the standard of, of knowledge to be referred to. Um, the idea being that uh, comprehensive knowing or perfect knowing by which or which constitutes being perfectly perfectly content or having a sense of knowing by which one feels no need to know anything else. That can be arrived at, the idea is, not through our own effort alone, but by revelation. If we want perfect knowing, then we have to have a perfect method. Hmm? And our ordinary methods of knowing, by, by sense perception, by reason, and so forth, are uh, limited. And extensions of them we may make in terms of telescopes and microscopes and so forth are defective as well, being made by defective instruments. If the senses are imperfect, is fairly, in terms of perception and what they can reveal, is fairly obvious. Um, even in the night, we may mistake a tree for a person. So, um, also it is with uh, with reason. Huh? These things aren't bad, but in and of themselves, they're they're limited, and. And they are the ways to reason and, and sense perception that we more or less go about knowing in, in, in this world, and that knowing leaves us not perfectly happy, <laughs> perfectly fulfilled, or with a sense of, 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 of knowing that leaves us with uh, no need to know anything else. They don't lead us to that. At least they haven't yet. That's been going on for a long time, human society. Just now coming. Just now coming. Uh, is, uh, probably not true, but uh, that is the carrot, if you will, of, of material materialism. Just a little, little, give us a little more time. There's a, there's a term that uh, promissory, promissory materialism. Probably a similar idea with the post-dated check for 
monastery in the future. It will be demonstrated. And uh, so, um, of course, there are people that conclude that there is not perfect knowledge or perfect happiness. And those who seek it, they are defective. But who is it that seeks it, really? Even that, we could say, I suppose, logically, is an attempt to um, arrive at perfect knowledge. The idea that there is no perfect knowledge would be a kind of knowledge that would be thought to be perfect as well (laughs) by those who espouse it. So, everyone seeks perfect knowledge. It's... uh, or everyone seeks to be perfectly happy. So who's crazy? Those who say it doesn't exist or those who say it does when both classes of people pursue it, knowingly or, or unknowingly. Our idea is a simple idea, and it's, an, it's not a new idea. Um, it's, the idea is that, as I said, perfect knowing will be arrived at by a perfect method, and our current method of knowing is obviously imperfect. Hmm? Method, again, through the medium of the senses by which you perceive sounds and tastes and smells and, and then the reasoning faculty with which in mind with which we analyze those, those uh, impressions gathered from the senses. They cause us to make determinations with the mind, those impressions. One set of senses will will give a certain perception, let us say, with regard to heat or cold. Hmm? To a mind, another set of senses will give a different impression. So someone in the room may think it's too cold in here, and someone may think it's too hot in here, and someone else may think it's just right. So which which is right? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Is it in between? These are all perceptions of the senses and... Perfect. I can't find my microphone. And 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 then that imperfect information or reading of the environment, we reason about, and we make these basic determinations with the mind. I like this. I don't like that. This is good. This is bad. This is happy. This is sad. And we are apart from one another to that extent. You think it's cold. I think it's hot. So. We've got a problem. <laughs> um, this is inevitable that um, if our determination about the nature of reality is dependent upon senses and our reasoning, there will be these kinds of differences that set us apart. Hmm? Even as we have a sense, an inherent intuitive sense, that reality is some type of unity where these differences are overcome. Hmm? But it would be hard to arrive at, uh, at that sense of unity when our means of knowing, and our pursuit even of unity, is sense-dependent and even reason-dependent. So, so if um, the, our present condition could be called one of imperfection, then it's reasonable to conclude that perfection will not arise out of imperfection. So, a perfect method of knowing hmm, 
is one there that come therefore that comes from outside of imperfection and asserts itself in relation to imperfection. Imperfection, by contrast, cannot assert itself in relation in relation to perfection. But perfection, because it's perfect, it has no fault. It has no uh, limitation like imperfection does, can assert itself in relation to imperfection. Or to use a mathematical example that is often, I've often cited, um, the finite cannot know the infinite unless the fi- infinite wants to make itself known to the finite out of its infinite ability, it can do which is what that which is impossible from the finite perspective. If the infinite, out of its infinite ability, power, and so forth, wants to do the impossible, well, there's nothing impossible. Impossible is a finite term. Napoleon said it is a word in a fool's dictionary. Um, so there... <laughs> So if the infinite wants to reveal itself to the finite, it has an infinite capacity to do as it likes. And thus, the finite can know the infinite on the infinite's terms. So infinite or perfection can assert itself in relation to imperfection or the finite, but the opposite is, is not the case. Hmm? So this is the principle then of revelation. And the idea in the ancient times was that there were sounds, unauthored sounds. All action, you might know from physics, is accompanied by sound. Hmm? Even the, uh, whatever goes on inside of the atom, there's a sound to that also. Hmm? So they are thought to be, uh, by by the Hindus, the sages, the mystics, Hmm? sounds that are unauthored, that offer guidance to those who can tune into them. And um, have a power to reveal that which on the strength of the mind and the senses alone um, we we could not uh, understand. Obviously the sound gives some directive that we must then carry out with our senses and use our reasoning as to how to do that and so forth. But is an example of perfection asserting asserting itself in relation to imperfection. So revelation um, is kind of like an opening statement. Om, from the Absolute, wants a conversation with us. Who are, as humans, really a question, as I often say. We are a question. Human life is a question. Why is really much of what human life is about. I heard a de- listened to a debate some time back between a British theist and atheist, and the, and the theist made the point that the science can't answer the why questions. And the atheist replied, there are no why questions. 
That is ignorance. Every, give us time. We show the how of everything. There are no why questions. And I felt like saying, why do we have to listen to the have? <laughs> <laughs> kind of response to deny the whole subjective side of, of life by which only you can, but you can weigh in and enter the debate and, and assume that it has any meaning. Hmm? To dismiss it altogether is suicidal. Hmm? Materialism is suicidal, really, hmm. um, philosophically speaking. Hmm. There's no one to debate with, and there's no debater, hmm. in other words. And there's no, there's no ultimate meaning to be arrived at, even while the debate is about whether there is meaning or not. And even if you conclude, as I say, there's no meaning, that's a meaning that you've arrived at as well. So, um, so Revelation is not some old, dusty book on the shelf that no longer has relevance. It may be presented at different times and different circumstances and carry with it some type of baggage um, according to the time and the circumstance, culturally speaking. But it has an essential um, uh, message. And this is the... It, underlying essential principle that, that to use it, put it another way, if God wants us to know about God, we can know, otherwise not. Pujapad hmm? Sridhar Marsh, he used to give the example of aliens, UFOs. If the UFO comes, then, and you see it in your backyard, the little green men and so forth. Then you go inside to tell your your friends. By the time you get back to the back yard, of course, it's gone. And so then you're you're left. Uh, you are left in question <laughs> by those who uh, didn't see anybody out there. Um, but if you saw, of course, that's a. No, I'm just using it as an example. If you saw, then then what can you do, even if you cannot convince someone? Then you have to. Then you find out that there are other people who have seen, and you get together with them, and you have a UFO club, and you... you this is what, what we're doing here. We're down the <laughs> UFO club. We've seen, we've heard, we've, associ- we've associated with people who we feel have, have experienced the more that we sense life is about, more than what meets the eye and the mind. Hmm? And we're told, it's you. You are more than the mind. You are more than the eye. And you can be known. Hmm? This is um, uh, an encouraging idea. It's a very optimistic idea. Um, and it, it, it comes from this revelation that, as I say, is an answer to the question that we as humans are, why am I? Hmm? And this sense, underlying sense that we find in human society, human consciousness, that there that there is more to life. That's why we try, as I sometimes say, to do in human life the things that other species do unto themselves that we we can't. Birds fly high in the sky and fish swim deep in the ocean. So we try to create submarines and aeroplanes to because we are experiencing in human life 
this this self, this subjective world, mm-hmm. consciousness, and self, I would say, self-reflection, self-awareness. Um, and it makes us feel bigger than the, the limits of the, of the body, li- bigger than things, and even bigger than thought. Hmm? We can think about an issue from all sides hmm? and not arrive at a comprehensive answer. There's a, a reason about it, think about it. Hmm? And life is full of our experiences, it's full of contradictions. It can't be fully resolved in in, in a mind with with with, with reason. Hmm? Generally, we take a side of an argument for psychological reasons, and we think it's for pure reason alone, and that our side can be supported objectively. Hmm? Uh, so, at any rate, we sense that there's more, as I say, to life than what meets the eye and the mind. There's more than things and more than thought, and there is, and it's us. Hmm? So, uh, this is at least the, 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 the statement of the um, Eastern revelation. It's you. Hmm? You are consciousness, not matter, not a thing, not a thought. Hmm? But what gives meaning to things, what gives meaning to thoughts, that's you. Hmm? And... And, and, and in a method, how you can know yourself. So these are the sounds of the revelation. As I say, it's very encouraging. It's very positive. It's very optimistic. Hmm. And it's well-reasoned also. After all, we are a unit of subjective, experiential reality. Hmm. That's what we know. We know that I am and I experience. We may experience different things. We may not know that they are real, but we but that we experience is real. That we know. Hmm? I may experience through my senses and mind something to be other than it is. Hmm? But that, that that may be false, but, but that I am a unit of experiencing reality. This is fundamental. Hmm? And this is what uh, the Gita asks us, Bhagavad Gita asks us to focus on. Modern way of knowing, let's say the scientific way of knowing, as useful as it can be to us in a relative sense, it's really based on a faith hmm, rather than a fact. It proceeds on the basis of the faith that there is something out there called the, the, the objective world. How do you know it's not just an experience? For If you take idealism, for example, then the famous, maybe it was Berkeley of the past, who uh, Bishop Berkeley, who uh, made the statement that if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it or sees it, did it actually happen? So this is, idealism is not very popular today, but it's getting in a... a Resurgence. I'm not advocating it here, but I'm ad- because I Vedas accept that there is an objective world, but they don't accept that it. They, but they also said it's not what it appears to be. Hmm? But my point is the fact, science proceeds on the faith 
on the basis of a faith that there is an objective world, hmm? that your experience of an objective world is accurate, I should say. But all you can you really say is that you that you the fact is that I have that I'm a unit of experience. Hmm? Sometimes the question is, well, so you experienced God. How do we know that's true? Hmm? The same thing can be re- re- replied. How do we know? That, how do we know that there's an objective world that science is all about exploring and measuring? And, and so, so, what if a bunch of people measure it and they get the same measurements? That could just be human subjective experience works in that way. Hmm? So this is. Uh, you, it's a, it's a it's a faith that there is something out there to be explored, to be measured, and so on, and medita- so forth. And meditation and the spiritual pursuit, which is inward, on the other hand, proceeds on the basis of a fact, the fact that I am a unit of of subjective experience, and I want to explore that now. Hmm? When. Um, Bertrand Russell wrote his famous paper, The Nature of Matter, I think it was called. He came to the conclusion, all we can really know is our own consciousness. We can't know, and that's all we know. So, Vedas agree there with Mr. Russell. Hmm? Therefore, that should be pursued, that should be explored. Hmm? And that is would seem to be exciting, rather than inert matter would be rather perhaps boring and limited by comparison. So, this is what the revelation is about. The Bhagavad Gita, which we're going to discuss a little bit today, is uh, is an example of that. It encourages us to pursue the more that we are. It is some of the sounds, constitutes some of the sounds, if you will, of of revelation that... um, Encourage us to examine ourselves and as a unit of subjective experiential reality and what prospects lie therein. Hmm? And we turn today to the 15th chapter. The 15th chapter is. <coughs> Is it follows the fourteenth chapter, and the fourteenth uh, chapter? There's a couple of statements made there at the end of the fourteenth chapter. Krishna, of course, is speaking the Bhagavad Gita, and he says, "Brahmanohi pratishtaham, amritasyabhyasicha." Brahmanohi pratishtaham. There's something called Brahman, hmm? and it is subordinate to me. Brahmanohi pratishta aham. Aham means I. So, Brahmanohi pratishta aham. Brahman has some standing in relation to me. Hmm? It's subordinate to me. It's an aspect, it means to say, of myself. What would you call it? An, an undifferentiated uh, modern term for it. I, I yeah. So there's Brahman, he says. It's an aspect of myself. There's this um, 
any rate, he ends the chapter with that. So now this chapter is about himself. He whom Brahman is a is subordinate to, a subordinate aspect. It's an aspect of the Absolute that is without qualities, without differentiation, difficult to talk about then. Hmm? Because we generally tend, to tend, generally tend to define things in relation to other things. And um, because there's differentiation, then definition can be arrived at. There's nothing to like it. And it, within itself, there's no differentiation. It's hard to speak about it. Hmm? About Krishna, then so many things can be said. Here is a, a manifestation of ultimate reality that's full of qualities hmm? and differentiation. So, anyway, Brahman is an aspect, that aspect. Having been spoken about by Krishna as a subordinate aspect to himself as a person, he now wants to speak about himself in this chapter. Maybe I should go into that a little bit, it's a little complex, but what I mean to say is that we as a unit of consciousness are all alike. So there is an underlying reality that the human differentiation is... Um, uh, is superficial to in, in relation to. So again, you have differences. You say it's hot, I say it's cold, you say it's good, she says it's bad. All these are human determinations based on our perception through our senses and minds and so forth. They're getting in the way of the underlying, experiencing the underlying reality or unity that we sense life is about. So where we where are we going to go with it? We can say, well, we're all humans. Hmm? We all have that in common. Hmm? We have different experiences, but we're all humans. And so we should find unity on the basis of the fact that we're all humans. Hmm? But then we have to look and say, well, what about the animals? Yeah. Are they just to be seen from a human perspective? Or is that... Are they going to be included in the unity of reality too, and the plant life and so forth? So, ultimately, to arrive at some sense of unity, you have to go beneath these uh, uh, forms, bodies, bodies of plants, bodies of animals, bodies of humans, men's bodies, women's bodies, and so forth. Hmm? And this is what the Veda is doing, kind of clearing the, the, the surface and getting to the soil of existence, and it is this experiential reality. And all of these bodies are made up of non-experiential reality, matter. Hmm? Mind is a form of psychic matter uh, also. It, it seems to have experiential quality because it has the ability to reflect consciousness itself. Hmm? Otherwise unto itself. It doesn't. So, underlying all these differences of perception based on our identification with the body and mind is this reality of consciousness. We are all one there. Hmm? We're all individual, the idea is, but we're, we're of the same, just like you might have different atoms, but they all have the same, made the same, made of the same ingredients. Each one's an individual. So we're all made of the same ingredients. We're equal in that sense. 
Hmm? But individuals at the same time. Hmm? So we're not individuals by way of being different as atomic particles of consciousness in inherently. Hmm? There's nothing that makes you inherently different from me. Hmm? But nonetheless, just like if you take two two billiard balls, they're both individuals, although they're both made up of the exact same thing. Hmm? Two eight balls. Not a six ball and a five ball or white ball. No, but the, so um, we have equal potential. Hmm? Now we're all the same, and part of that sameness is that we all have will, so we may exercise our will differently, and that may result in different possibilities for us. And so we find ourselves in different situations, identifying with matter in different ways, and so forth. So to get underneath that all, we find the self, consciousness. And this consciousness is, is very abstract compared to the concrete, as it would appear, world of things and, and even thoughts by comparison. So it's hard to d- define it, hard to talk about it. Hmm? But it's us, consciousness. Hmm? And Brahman, this feature of the Absolute, is like us, or we should say we are like Brahman, undifferentiated consciousness, just raw experiential reality, something like that. Hmm? So Krishna says, that is subordinate to me. I'm something else. and um, Or something more than that. If you were to take the... What, what is consciousness then? In a, in a way, it is being, knowing, and loving. If we, if When mystics of different traditions say that they've experienced the self and it's not a man and it's not a woman and it's not black and it's not white. This is what the Upanishads say. Neti, neti. What is consciousness? Neti, neti, neti. It's not this, it's not that, it's not, it's not American, it's not Indian, it's not man, it's male or female, neuter. It's not heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual. There are a few other new ideas too out there but uh, in that regard but none of these things hmm? it's being defined as I'm explaining negatively because it's not like anything that doesn't make it less important that makes it more interesting it's not like anything therefore Krishna says in the Gita it's amazing what can you say about it we shouldn't have the opposite conclusion. It's indefinable. I guess it's not important. <laughs> uh, can't, we can't figure out how it fits into the exactly to the natural world. And so we can't explain it very well, so it's not important. No, it's, 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 it's makes it more important, more interesting, more fascinating. And Krishna says, those who know it, they say it's amazing. As charge of what does he say? Those who anyway, it's amazing, it's awesome, <laughs> something like that. It's just awesome, and it's you. Hmm? Hmm? 
they say it's very optimistic uh, perspective that the that the sacred text uh, give us. Hmm? Um, and so, mystics who, in different spiritual traditions, experience the self, they reply like this. They report their subjective experience. If you want to bring some objectivity to it, then we have what we call intersubjective experience. You have the objective experience and you have intersubjective. It means you experienced it, you experienced it, enough people experienced it, we're getting some objectivity on it, something like that, even though it's subjective. It's only your experience, it's only yours, but they're the same, something like that. So mystics from across the board, so to speak, from different traditions, have said this about the self. That's what they said. (laughs) It's beyond words. Hmm? Hmm? It's beyond thought. That doesn't make it less important. It says thoughts are limited. Hmm? Language is limited. If I could put it in words hmm, and uh, there's uh, a Christian theologian recently wrote a book, what is that book? Experience of God or something like that? Um, God Experience or something? And with the subtitle Satchit Ananda or Being, Consciousness and, and Bliss. Being, knowing, knowing, and and loving, so he came to the conclusion that the Hindus had kind of best described God with these words: Sat, being, Chit, knowing, Ananda, loving. So when mystics enter into the experience of the self and they come back and report it to us, they tell us something about it that's not very hard to believe. Because it is only because we are a conscious being that we really be in any meaningful sense. Right? This is something that exists that's not, as far as we know, it's not conscious. But we make it a pillow, right? A conscious being makes it a pillow and gives meaning to it. Hmm. Um, So... Consciousness exists, it's cognizant, and it, it has a capacity to love. And we, that's what we do. We, 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 we exist, we, 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 we know as opposed to, to matter, and, which is unknowing, achit, asat. Its forms are here today and gone tomorrow. Hmm? Yeah, so we, we're saying there's something, it's not a thing, that's not subject to transformation. It's me. Like all material things are subject to transformation. Hmm? It's not uh, unknowing or inert. Hmm? It's, 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 it's conscious. It, it has awareness. It's sentient. Hmm? And, and, and it's, it's joyful. Hmm? It loves. 
And this, again, is reported uh, across the board for people in all different mystical traditions. They may use slightly different terms according to their language and culture, but um, it's uh, a consistent report. So this unit of self is something like the Brahman feature of the Godhead. Now this being, knowing and loving, if we were to take it and concentrate it, concentrated being, knowing, and loving. This is what Krishna said, means what we mean by the term Krishna. If consciousness, in terms of its being constituted of being, knowing, and loving, could, could take a concentrated shape, the shape of the very shape of being, the shape of knowing and loving, hmm? something like that. After all, we have to reason that when consciousness exerts itself in relation to matter, what happens? Matter takes shapes, right? Like we asserted consciousness in relation to fire and earth and water, and and this house came about, right? Hmm? It took a shape. Elements of heat and liquidity and solidity and so forth were weighed in on by consciousness and it took a shape in terms of the house. So consciousness weighing in on itself, if you will, is what meditation is about, can give rise to a a shape, a form of consciousness that has qualities and movement and so forth. This is the idea of Krishna. And there's a way for knowing this feature of the Godhead, of the Absolute, as opposed to the undifferentiated Brahman feature, which knowing about through meditation would cause us to be still, quiet, peaceful, and happy in terms of the fact that such knowing and arriving at Brahman would be devoid of any suffering. There's a kind of happiness that corresponds with ending suffering, right? If you learned that you had cancer and you had six weeks to live, that could be depressing um, for the ordinary person. You have to tell your friends and so forth, and you got to tell yourself. And then after you've told all your friends and you try to tell yourself, and then you got a phone call and they said, Oh, uh, about that x-ray, sorry, it was uh, somebody else's x-ray. We made a mistake, it's not yours. Then you realize, oh, what a relief, I don't have cancer. You feel some happiness, right? Some some bliss, knowing that you're not going to die from, from, from cancer. So there's some, and a fair amount of happiness, if you will, abstract as it is in the context of ending suffering. Hmm? So this is the idea of Brahman. It can be pursued, and is, by certain types of transcendentalists. Hmm? The end of all suffering. But is the ending suffering in and of itself what happiness is constituted of? Hmm? How long can you live just knowing, ah, I don't have cancer, that's great. You want to go out and do something also. Hmm? <laughs> when you're healthy 
self, self. So this is the idea that Krishna is speaking about in the Gita here when he comes to chapter 15, that there's a kind of bliss, if you will, that it, it, it really is the full, also the full face of loving. Let me give you another example. Not taking is part of loving, right? Loving is about giving. So not taking is included in, in loving. But it's not the whole face of loving. So in our material existence, we tend to take because we are identified with a sense of self that is needy. The body, biologically, and the, our psychology is one of neediness. Hmm? We need another, or we need a thing. Um, and we really do. I mean, we're taught psychologically not to be needy. And that's the best, worst place, space to be in, in terms of looking for a relationship. Hmm? Because then you're looking for somebody to fix you and and so forth. And relationships are more about giving than they are about getting, as it turns out. And then, of course, you're supposed to learn in the context of that that the get, giving is the getting. Hmm? So there's a way to, that they can work positively, so to speak. But But it's unavoidable that we will be on the take, so to speak, as much as we've identified with the biological and psychological sense of self. Hmm? Um, the body needs to be fed, so you have to take in order to feed it. I mean, you can become a vegetarian, that's good, but you can become a breatharian, and just live on air, perhaps, but still there's no avoiding hmm? the taking from the environment in order to sustain the biological self. Hmm? And um, and taking is not not giving, and loving is about giving. So we are all takers, materially speaking. That's unavoidable. So how to become a lover? Hmm? You have to you have to transcend the bodily identification. Is the idea? It's the idea of mysticism hmm? and meditation, inward inward pursuit, yoga, and so forth. This is what it's about. It's a method, if you will, for arriving at what everyone's looking for. I mean, no one really wants to take, even those who take. They say they're only taking to give to their family or whatever. You know, the mobsters and the sense that many people hate them, but then they have their own circle of people who they, they give to readily, and that's where they get their joy from. They don't get the joy just from taking, but having taken, they get the joy of giving it. And, and then their family likes them, their friends like them, and they're generous with, with, uh, with those they care about, right? Hmm? So, mysticism, anyway, is about pursuing these, this kind of reality systematically, hmm? and becoming a giver becoming a lover. Hmm? And to become a lover, in the full sense of the term, is more than just being a non-taker. Non-taking, not taking, not exploiting is part of loving. Hmm? Indeed, that kind of prepares you to be a lover, just like they teach us, we're taught psychologically, as I said earlier, if you're too much needy, 
it's not time to go look for a relationship, hmm? for somebody to patch you together or something like that. Because then you will not be in a position to actually be a meaningful partner in a relationship. Hmm? You, you're only going to see somebody as an object to fix you. Hmm? That's not really having a relationship, is it? Hmm? <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. So, uh, so, so they say you have to become more full in yourself and balanced, and then in the context of that. So similarly, metaphysically speaking, hmm, we have to transcend, or we have to forego the taking tendency within us, give a death to that, hmm, in order to be a lover. Hmm? The neediness, hmm? which is arising from the identification with the body and, and mind, which have needs. Hmm? So this is called detachment, vairagya, detachment. Hmm? Detachment is the first step in loving. It's the stepping back from a thing that when I'm too close to it, I cannot see it for what it is. Step back to see what it is and then interact with it is the point. You follow me? If I'm too close to a thing, then I can't, I can't see it. I'm attached to it, so I'm not objective. So I can't weigh in on it accurately. Others who are more detached can see it objectively. Hmm? So detachment in yoga, in the Gita, is not an end unto itself. Hmm? And it's a tall order also. If I say to you, and the Gita says this, that attachment is the womb from which suffering is born. That's a pretty strong statement because we're all attached to things and we're all suffering. <laughs> so uh, it's true, but it's a hard pill to swallow. Well, if I just detach from things then I may not have the suffering born from the attachment, but, but what will I have? I have nothing. Maybe I better have the suffering from attachment than to have nothing at all. What will I be, even? Because I am very much a product of my attachments. I'm, if I'm attached to America, then I think, I'm an American. Hmm? Uh, or if I'm, a, if I'm attached to my, um, let's say, uh, female sense of self, I'm, I'm a feminist, it could be, or I'm a chauvinist, or <laughs> whatever it may be. So our attachments very much define us. And so if we say that you are as defined by your attachments, an embodiment or a manifestation of suffering, basically, then, okay, if I kill that, then I won't suffer. But what will what be left? I mean, I could kill myself and I could end suffering, I suppose. You could, I could commit suicide. This is not what we're recommending here. But, hmm? but it's a kind of a metaphysical suicide. It could, be re, it could be argued against, so to speak. One could say, I would rather be something and suffer than be some intangible, indescribable, non-suffering reality, something like that. 
I would rather, put another way, I would rather love imperfectly than have no prospect of loving. Hmm. Yes, in material life, as high as it gets is as low as it gets. You may find the man of your dreams only to find he's a nightmare in the long term. And I'm stuck now with him. Hmm. Something like that. This, hat, this is kind of the way it works. You press down here, it comes up there. Hmm. It's not always like that, but <laughs> I'm just giving an extreme example. Hmm. In an overarching sense, it is like that. It's never perfect. Hmm. But the highs <laughs> are such that you might say, I'd rather take the highs along with the lows than not have the highs at all. The highs being, for example, from our perspective, a reflection, a, a partial manifestation of the highs of, of actual of reality, of, 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 the, of the spiritual reality, spiritual loving. Hmm? So you see, bhakti is very helpful. I'm, I'm speaking about this because this chapter, the 15th chapter, that's about the Supreme Person. Krishna said, Brahman is an aspect of me, it's impersonal, it's subordinate to me. So now that in the previous chapter, now he's talking about himself. And he begins to talk about himself in this chapter by talking about what? 15th chapter, who knows? about detachment. Talking about himself by way of talking about attachment. De- excuse me, about detachment. Hmm? He's saying that becoming by becoming detached from what I'm attached to and the identity that's derived from that, hmm? not only can you end suffering, but you start to put yourself in a position to be a lover. Hmm? Hmm? Why? Of me, he says, hmm? who can be loved because I have specifics about me. Hmm? I have qualities. That Brahman feature of mine has no qualities. There's no differentiation there. Hmm? But in me, the concentrated form of Satchitananda, there's differentiation, there's movement. Hmm? qualities, and I can be talked about, Brahman can be talked about, we can just say it's beyond words, beyond thought. With regard to Krishna, the kind of personification of Brahman, we can say, also, he cannot be adequately described by words, thought about by thought, therefore we shall go on thinking and talking about him forever. Hmm? Cannot say enough about him. In Brahman you can't say anything about that's one feature of himself, but the personal feature of himself you cannot say enough about. Hmm? And there are books by mystics, for example, in our tradition, just about his feet. <laughs> Imagine that. A book about his feet. Hmm? In the Bhagavad, it is said by the, the milkmaidens of Vrindavan who are depicted, these young ladies, as the, as the greatest devotees of Krishna. Hmm? They say that whoever made eyes that blink is really an imperfect creator. Because 
when the eyes blink for that long we cannot see Krishna how perfect is that form of Satchitananda now how many times do you blink in a day that tells you how beautiful are the things that you look at no matter how beautiful they may be to you have you ever thought oh God I blinked and I didn't see it never happened never happened Hmm? never even the thought it's a very peculiar like what are, what are they talking about? Hmm? They're noticing that they're blinking. That means they're not really noticing that they're blinking, but they're, they're the object of their sight. They're saying that there's something so beautiful, the beatific vision, that blinking is a great disaster in relation to it. It's a huge disaster. For a split second, I was seeing, and then for a split second, I couldn't see. Hmm? So, when we're talking about Krishna, Krishna's talking about himself, he's talking about the perfect object of love. And the perfect object of love is, is, is the per- perfect beauty, perfect knowing, perfect being, and so forth. And to, to love that perfect object of love and, and to perfectly love and be fulfilled in that loving, you have to stop being a taker. So detachment is not the end, but it's this first step in the direction of being a lover. Hmm? There are, I mention this because there are spiritual traditions that are, that, that are, that end with the detachment. Hmm? And they seek to merge, if you will, into the Brahman feature of the Absolute and just rest. Ha! Ah, I don't have cancer, or I don't die. Wow! That's great. And uh, that feature of the Absolute is more about eternal being and loving being. I love to be. And I love to know that I will, I will always be. I mean, if you knew the extent to which you existed, then you would have no fear, no anxiety, no problem that arose in your life would have the capacity to be a, a stumbling block for you. All the problems that arise in our life that get in the way and become cumbersome and problemsome and weigh down our mind and and and, and burden us hmm, are so insignificant, so small in relation to what we are. If you knew by experience the extent to which you exist, hmm, all the problems could be put in perspective. Hmm? And they become very small and insignificant. Hmm? They loom large only to the extent that we don't know the extent to which we exist. Because our life is pervaded by some type of fear that we have to move to do in order to protect ourselves. And, and oh no, this has happened. Now what? It's a crisis. We don't have enough money. How are we going to pay the rent? Hmm? Hmm? All these problems, for example, these are problems that if you knew the extent to which you existed, it would be almost just amusing. Hmm? It's just like a movie. It's a movie. Interesting. You could plug into it for a little bit. Okay. Everybody feels anxiety. I'll go along with you. Yes. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. But uh, it's like that... uh, a comedian who did that movie who was 
a self-realized soul. You ever see that? Uh-oh. Anyway, it was a good, good one. <laughs> and so when people were getting upset, he'd plug in with them. Yeah, it's terrible. You know? oh. And then he would go the other way, you know, wherever he was, and just play along. But he was, he knew that there, was, there were no problems. Hmm? It's only a show, an appearance of such. Hmm? So if we knew the extent to which we existed, then we would end all fear. And fear is what pervades the whole of material existence. The birds fly away huh, in fear hmm, of us because we're fearful. Because everyone is taking, everyone is hunting. And if they look over their shoulder, they're not a hunter, but they're hunted. Oh, goodness. I'm hunting and I'm hunted. This is material existence. So it's to try to you know find happiness and perfection and peace here, is is, uh, is 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 a folly. Here means kind of a state of consciousness, a certain perception. Hmm? So it's pretty big to arrive at an existence that that is deathless. Hmm? That's a pretty big relief. And so you could really love being if the being was never under the threat of non-existence at any moment. You never had to move to protect yourself, hmm? to maintain, to work. As soon as you want something, you've got a problem, right? Now you've got to work to get it. You've got to get up. Okay. Hmm? So this Brahman idea, many mystics seek this, eternal rest, slumber, it's compared to like sleeping without dreaming. Like anesthesia or something like that. Just, huh, you're out. It doesn't sound that good, does it? Hmm? It's only positive side is that it's not participating in the exploitation. Hmm? It's not a life identified with things that don't endure. It's an enduring life. Hmm? But here, when we come to the, the idea of the personality of the God, it we come to something much more developed. Hmm? That this detachment that helps us to arrive at Brahman is only the first step in the direction of. Hmm? By becoming detached, we're in a, we, 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 we develop, we, we come to a position to begin to love. We, we are no longer identified with things Consciousness is not a thing. God is not a thing or a thought. Beyond things and thoughts, right? So we've come to a likeness by this detachment. So when he begins to speak about himself as a supreme person, he speaks about it by way of attachment. Hmm? The verse I want to discuss after that introduction goes like this, and I won't speak for long on it. Natat bhashayate suryonashasankonapabhaka he says, the supreme abode of mine, my realm, is not illumined by the sun, by the moon, or the or fire. And having gone there, no one returns. This is the sixth verse in a, in a very short chapter of the Gita. I believe it's the shortest chapter of the Gita. Only maybe 20 verses. Hmm? And 
um, it's Krishna describing something about himself, so his domain, if you will, his his realm in the super subjective world beyond things and thought, is he's 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 weighing in on, speaking about it, and it sounds interesting. Hmm? The chapter begins with a with an an example to describe the world of a tree, a banyan tree, that's turned upside down. Banyan tree. We don't experience them here in North Carolina, but um, they're from the tropics. You know, you may have seen they, they grow up and they're very, they become like a forest themselves. Sometimes the branches go out and branches come down and the branches root themselves in the ground. So it becomes veritably a forest itself, the tree. Hmm? And so he gives an example. This is a tree that's turned upside down. Hmm? It's rooted in Brahman. The, the means that the, the material manifestation, the objective world, hmm, has its roots in the subjective world. Hmm. That causation comes from up to down. Hmm. I've given an example before. I'll give another example. Um, let's take a joke. Hmm. I think Edwin Arnold gave this example many, many, several decades ago. Physicist. Um, take a joke. If we were to take a joke and analyze it physically, hmm, all of its, const- what it constitutes and so forth, and say, that is what a joke is. The problem is that no one would laugh. Hmm? Hmm? Do you follow me? This is the problem. No one would laugh. A smile is not just the exercise of... If we say a smile is the exercise of two facial muscles. Try it. That's like... We would laugh at that explanation because a smile is so much more than that. Hmm? In other words, the physical reality is a small thing. Materialism tries to make... The physical reality, the whole thing, hmm? and somehow even make the subjective, even the mind, physical. Just, to, just it's just the brain, hmm? or at least it comes out of the brain, and we don't have to worry about it. Hmm? It comes out for a while. It's epiphenomenon of the brain. It's an emergent property, but it has no causal efficacy. Hmm? We want to say in Vedanta that actually. The physical comes out of the mental-emotional, and the mental-emotional and the physical reality come out of the spiritual reality. Hmm? Even if you take, perhaps in 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 um, physics, you take the idea of Penrose, Roger Penrose, a famous physicist, he makes the argument, it's a, it's a good one, I think, that, that there's, from the Big Bang perspective, there, forgive me for not being able to uh, articulate it uh, that well, but the general idea is that, that there is considerable complexity hmm, behind that, if you will. That's not a good explanation, I know. But uh, uh, but anyway, this is his his, his point um, that um, is similar to the point I'm I'm I'm, make, I'm making. Hmm? The mental emotional world is way more complex 
than the than the physical world and a physical explanation of a smile does not do justice to what it is hmm? a physical explanation of a joke is not funny hmm? so it's not even a joke anymore hmm? and so the physical form of matter evolves out of this is the Vedic idea out of the subjective uh, quasi-subjective uh, psychic matter and both of these which in and of themselves are not conscious are like the unconscious of God hmm? the God's unconscious hmm? So the um, metaphor in the beginning of this chapter is this tree turned upside down. It has its roots then in Brahman. It means the world with all of its branches and leaves and so forth and possibilities, which is a big entanglement and what it is. I mean, you tell me <laughs> what it is. I mean, that's basically what the Vedanta says, what the world is is something that can never be known. We will describe it as Vishnu Maya. Hmm? It's a it's magical. It's you can call it, you know, a quantum collapse of the wave extending forever or something like that, I suppose you could um, but that uh, but that's hardly knowing what it <laughs> what it what it is, uh, it's un, un, unknowable, it endlessly mutable, it's it's magical, hmm? and in in schools like of thought like astrophysics and so forth, it's it's the, the explanations that are quite um, magical and um, and they could be seem very right and could be very wrong when you go a little further or in another direction. The basic idea of the Vedanta is don't. You, it's not the most important part of life anyway, unto itself. So, better to pursue the self, and only look at matter in relation in such a way that it will promote the pursuance of the inner self, rather than try to make more out of make matter more than it than it does. You 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 matter, something like that. Um, so at any rate, the metaphor at the beginning of the chapter is this banyan tree is upside down. It's rooted in Brahman, the world. Matter comes from consciousness. Hmm? Matter is an idea. That's... You can't get away from that. Hmm? Right? Hmm? Matter is an idea. So upside down and then the branches the banyan tree is selected because it's complex and as I said it's, it's, it's even its branches make roots and it's a forest so the world is very difficult to make your way through hmm? and having described it like this ashvata ashvata means is in Sanskrit is the banyan tree ashvata shvata also means tomorrow and a means no. It's a world of no tomorrows. Hmm? It means it's not something that endures. Now how much 
importance are you going to give it? How much importance do you give to your dream at night that doesn't endure, that you can't even remember after a few hours? Not that much. Hmm. You say, oh, it was just a dream. Endurance lends credibility to a thing. Hmm. The more it endures, the more within a sense it's real. Hmm. It's not going to go away, disappear, vanish. Hmm. Ashwata, so it says, it's a nice other meaning to the, uh, to the word, no tomorrow. It's a land of no tomorrows. You can't, it, so by contrast, you see how he's describing his world here. Hmm? Going to my realm. He starts out by describing the material realm and how to deal with it. He says, because it has no tomorrows, hmm, you shouldn't be attached to it. Hmm? And this banyan tree, you should cut it down with the acts of detachment. And detachment has a corollary of knowledge in a general sense. Because if I have knowledge, then I know that attachment to things that don't endure is a problematic. Because when they're no longer there and I'm attached to them, well, it's, it's problematic for me. So we should bring the acts of detachment, weigh in with objectively. The Gita is asking us to be objective, to step back from the world, analyze it for what it is. Hmm? Very like much like a scientific scientist's approach, if you will. Hmm? And we have some consistent data here. Hmm? It's a realm of suffering. Attachment is pr- producing this suffering. Hmm? So step back and cut it down. Hmm? Cut the tree down. So as he proceeds along the chapter, having described um, the material world as such. And the first step, if you will, in loving him by giving up attachments, which makes you a taker, hmm? now he begins to describe his own abode. And by contrast, it's a place from which going one never returns. Hmm? It's not Ashwata, it's Shwata. Hmm? It's a land of tomorrows. Hmm? It's a land of eternal present. Hmm? if you will, hmm? where there is no time in terms of beginning or end, only in terms of sequence for the sake of Leela. The example is given of the sun to help us appreciate it. It's always 12 o'clock somewhere. It's only 12 o'clock for a second hmm? where in any one place. So it's Krishna's moving. <laughs> you got to keep up with it. Hmm? To stay in 12 o'clock, you've got to be on the move. Hmm? If you want it to always 12 o'clock, it always is, but always somewhere. Hmm? So if you, if you want to enter into Krishna, Krishna, the name of Krishna's abode also is called Braj. Jibha Swami says that this, this Braj implies, um, well, the word Braj as a verb means to go. It implies movement. Krishna uses it at the end of the Gita. He says, Sarvadharman Prityaja Mamekam Saranam Braj. Hmm. Here, Braj means come to me, move to me. He says, Sarvadharman Prityaja Mamekam. Give up all other ideas 
of, uh, he says, give up religion. You have to give up religion hmm, to know me. Give up religion, or what he's speaking about there is that basic idea of religion that we talked about this morning, last night. Religion, which is a business deal. Hmm, I'll love you if you give me something. Hmm, work it out. I'll do this sacrifice. I'll pray, and you give me a dollar at the end of the day, and everything's good. Prahlad said, Nasa Britisabaibonic, as we said, don't be a merchant, be a servant. Hmm? You want to please Krishna's senses, that's all. That's bhakti. Hmm? There's nothing to be gained there. There's only the pleasure of his senses. Hmm? There's nothing to get out of it. If you're looking to get out of it, you're looking in the wrong place. But of course, there's much to be had in serving his senses. What's to be had? Well, him. If somebody only wants to please your senses, kind of like having them around. <laughs> it's uh, it, it, that, that person is not a problem. Hmm? Something like that. So, so he says, So give up all other, all this taking and, and come to me. I represent the 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 ability even in the gods and goddesses to give hmm, on any level hmm. and come to me I give myself readily to such persons here the word brudge means to go hmm, or come to me hmm. it it's it's the verb it speaks about movement but a word as we know has is often um, defined in terms of it's what the sound most readily brings to mind. So we're devotees, the word brudge immediately brings to mind Krishna's abode. It's called brudge. Hmm? Brudge. But it implies, uh, Jiva Goswami has written this in his introduction of the Gopal Champu, some, some movement. So it's a place of, it's depicted as a pastoral, um, as pastoral. So the pasturing of the cows requires movement because they eat the grasses in one place and they have to move to the next pasture, the next pasture, the next pasture. And this is a world of movement. Brahman, who is still, as I often say, because Brahman is everywhere, can't move, is somehow moving. Hmm? That is Krishna Leela in the Braj. It's a place of, of movement and place of change and, and, and transformation and the kind of movement that love constitutes. Hmm? It's ongoing. There's a mystery in it. There's an unknowing in the knowing there. Hmm? There's an unknowing in, in the knowing of love. And there's a... There's a uh, um, it has a, a, a movement of its own. I often say we can't rest until we find love, and we do. And if I had its, has, we find it has its own own movement. And sometimes people ask, "Do you love me?" You never say it. You know, I mean, um, Krishna's wondering, "Does Radha love me?" I think yeah. his friends have to say, "Yes, she does." And hmm? Krishna, there is unknowing. Hmm? He is beyond omniscience. Omniscience is all-knowing, and all-knowing, as I've often said, is problematic because it's boring. There's nothing rest to be known, left to be known, so then what do you do when you're bored? You play. Hmm? And you extend, then, 
reality. You make it more, more full. The play of Brahman, the Absolute. This is the full face of uh, divinity. Hmm? It said that on the scale, if you look at the manifestations of God in Hinduism, you begin with the Mahavishnu, the God of this world. Hmm? He is still in relation to the apparent movement of the world that he sets in motion. He remains still. That means he's not caught up in it. Hmm? And the Atmas that are manifestations of the one, Mahavishnu becoming many, they're also still. They think they're moving, but it's actually the only movements of nature hmm? that they've identified with. And so as that virtual reality moves up and down, they're going up and down and so forth, but they're a witness. Hmm? They have will, so as as units of consciousness, they they set it in motion. Hmm? Vishnu sets it in motion by investing the jivas in material nature, and then they set it in motion by their will, but otherwise they're inactive. The activities of prakriti kriyamanani gunai kamani sarvasa ahankara vimudatmakartahamitimamite. So Vishnu, in this form, is just still. He's bored to death hmm? with the world. Hmm? What a bad movie. The avatar, <laughs> the avatars descends every now and then to like give meaning to the whole thing and bring about. Uh, let the let people meet their maker, so to speak. Hmm? But he's very still. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have Krishna. Vishnu is sleeping. He's sleeping, and this world is said to be his dream. Hmm? Every now and then he wakes up and he says, "I better go back to sleep." <laughs> so, so, so he's he's relatively still. And Krishna, on the other hand, is never never sleeping practically. He pretends to go to bed only to sneak out at night and meet with Radha and, and so forth in his Leela. It's constantly moving. So it's very... Consciousness is fully animated there. The Ananda aspect, hmm? the loving aspect of the, of the self, of the Godhead, is fully operative. And that is causing movement. Hmm? Can't be still. Can't love and be still. Hmm? Has to be movement. Hmm? So there's one thing to love to be. Another thing is love to exist. Another thing is to exist to love. Which is better? To exist to love is a better idea. This is the bhakti idea. This requires then the object of love that Brahman doesn't afford us. Hmm? And that object of love has a corresponding realm. And the Purport, the import here is that it's very different than the material world. It's very nature. Hmm? It's of a nature of eternality. He says, Not that There, my, that sub, super subjective realm where I perform my leelas, hmm? where I do my, my thing, hmm? where I just be myself. Hmm? It doesn't require the light of the sun, the moon, or fire for its illumination. Hmm? 
It means that that sun macrocosmically, and I think we mentioned this last night, presides in Hinduism over the eyes by which we see things. Fire uh, has some presides over, I think, but um, speech. Hmm? And uh, and moon over mind. Hmm? It's like the full moon is pleasing to the mind and so forth. So, so it's very pleasing and, and, uh, on the full moon night. So it's, he's saying, in my abode, it, my abode cannot be perceived. You're thinking, well, where is it? Hmm? Where is God? If God was here, why doesn't he show himself? Hmm? Gotcha. Something like that. Hmm? Of course, you don't know where to look, right? Hmm? And he's saying that by sight you cannot know, by your eyes you cannot know. Hmm? By, by means by other senses as well. By language, by speech, you cannot know. By mind, by thought, you cannot know. It's beyond thought, as we said earlier. It's beyond sp- speech. It's atahashi krishna namadidna bhavidgrahimindri. It cannot be known, cannot be experienced by the material senses. Why? Because we've already described what they are. Hmm? They are affording, in the very beginning we are talking, they are affording us a certain perception of life that constitutes a life of suffering, a place that we want to get out of all the time. We are constantly wanting to get out of the material world without thinking of it in that way. We're trying to change it. It's not working as it is. We need to elect somebody else. <laughs> we need to move. We need to get a different job. We've got to get a different relationship. We have to have another kid, maybe. Whatever it is, one thing or another. We don't, it means it's not working. Hmm? And what is it? It's an identity derived from attachment. Hmm? It's not working. Implicit in our actions is the fact that it's imperfection. It's, it, we're not arriving at perfect knowing, and therefore we are not perfectly happy, and we want to get out. Hmm? You may think, I don't want to get out, I just want to change it, but you means you want to get out of what it's like now <laughs> and change it. What you really want is what you're about. Hmm? A unit of eternal being, knowing and loving, but that self has nothing to do with this mind, the senses, male, female. These are all just misperceptions. So we're not. We're talking about Krishna's realm, and people. Where is that? You know, the, the what do they say? The fairy, you know, fairy tooth person. You know, yeah. Okay, Swami. Hmm. Let's talk about the material world, okay? Let's talk about what your experience, which is all you really have, really, if we play it out, what the implications of it are. You're not happy where you are. Oh, yes, I am. Well, you're not acting like it. Why are you constantly trying to adjust things in your life? Right? Why change a channel? When I was a kid, you know, when we saw the first TVs, there was like Channel 5, 
Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 2, you know, whatever. There was like five of them. There's like 500 probably now. I don't know how many channels they offer you. Right? I mean, this is a simple example. It's not working. You can look at it from every different angle. You can look at it over here. It's happening over there. It's... Uh, even 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 the attempts of movies, for example, to make the world perfect, where you live happily ever after, you can only watch that movie so many times <laughs> before it's like, not that again. Oh, God. Hmm? So we are constantly moving. We're moving here, but we're moving out of dissatisfaction. We're actually moving out of dissatisfaction. We could decide to become still, and stop moving in ways that are causing dissatisfaction by way of attachment and the identity that accrues from that. Hmm? But is there any movement then hmm? that's satisfying? This is the meaning of the Braj. Krishna is speaking about his abode here. He wants to speak about it in a negative way at first. He says, it is a place where there's no sun, no moon, no light in terms of needing these things. It's self-luminous. Hmm? That means, again, it doesn't re- it's, it's not to be known by the mind. Hmm? It's, to be known, it's to be known by stopping from thinking. How much more profound is not thinking than, than thinking whatever, whatever, you know, whatever can appear in the mind, so many thoughts. Stopping the mind. Hmm? I saw a fellow, you know, Daniel Dennett, he's a philosopher. He posed a question to, in, a, in a discussion about consciousness. You know, I've heard about this meditation. He said, well, you know, what's the value of that? He, he couldn't get it. What's the value of that? If you, you know, you stop thinking, what's, what's the value of that? What, what, why would I even want to do that? Hmm? Hmm. And the answer came that what we see that what we see tangibly that comes out of it is compassion. We see a love that extends to all beings that comes out of such people who have stopped the mind and experienced a dimension of consciousness proper. What we are doing in our spiritual practice is what everybody wants and is pursuing by imperfect methods. Hmm? It's just that it's harder to do. Hmm? It's hard. It's hard to be a sadhaka. Hmm? It's hard. But you should not think, as I said last night, it would be easy to solve all the problems of life, every single one of them. Would it be an easy thing to do that? Can it be done? Yes. That's what spiritual life is about. If you really look at the bottom line in a very simplistic sense, spiritual life ends all as it's understood through the sacred texts, whether it be even in the Bible, if you look at the good things that are said there, the Quran or the, the Gita, that's why people are attached to them. People aren't attached to the Bible because it says you should treat your wife as your you know, slave or something like that. It says something like that somewhere. That's not why people like it. I mean, some people like it for that reason, but they're weird. <laughs> you know. Or the Quran, it says, they have some weird things, and so does some of the Hindu scriptures. Bhagavad Gita has, that's pretty good in that regard. It doesn't have any bad things, like weird things like that. 
because it's centering on the essential message. So the essential message, you can see, you, hear, you live here in the South, people get attached to the Bible. It's really because how they grew up and they learned, you should treat your neighbor like yourself. That's pretty far out. I mean, who can argue with that? Of course, how do you do that? Hmm? That's what the Gita explains. Hmm? You have to understand what the self is. Hmm? And the yogi who's perfect, the Gita says, sees when he sees the suffering of others as if it's his own. Hmm? He sees underlying we are all consciousness. Anyways, so these are like, and there's so many nice statements. I mean, I never read the Bible, but at the, sometime a few weeks back, I happened to pick it up, and I was reading it. I thought, wow, this is some really some really nice thoughts here. Hmm? This could solve so many problems. Hmm? The essential heart of this spiritual message. It's undeniable. If you could do it, and that's the big if, and people go, it's impossible. Hmm? But that if is pursued by some people, and they say that impossible is only a word in a fool's dictionary. Hmm? They do the impossible. They, 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 they transcend greed, lust, avarice, anger, hmm? attachment, and so forth. Hmm? And they demonstrate personally, by their own example, that there is a supernatural because they're doing something supernatural. You know, I always liked, I mentioned before, that poem of Kipling. Recently, Johnny Mitchell put it in, into music. Hmm? If if you could do the... It's, I don't remember the whole poem, but it's very nice. If, 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 if. And all the ifs are right out of the Bhagavad Gita, the equanimity, if you will, that the Gita speaks about, that yoga is ultimately about. If you could walk amongst the royalty, and not lose touch with the common man. Hmm? Just to give you an example, all these uh, polar opposites and, and come to equanimity. It's, just, it's like talking about, wow, if I could do that. And Kipling concludes, if you could do that, my son, then you could be a man. It's such a feminine idea of a man. I mean, just to make a point as an aside, it's not like, if you can beat everybody up, then you can be a man. <laughs> if you could be balanced hmm, in everything hmm, that you do. Yes. Then it's, and, and this is the beginning that I'm speaking about, the detachment hmm, that enables you to be, to, 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 to plausibly pursue a life of really being a lover. Hmm? Really, being you, you can love all beings because you see them, not in terms of these material um, ends of the spectrum. Hmm? Like again, happy, cold, good, bad, happy, sad, Republican, Democrat, uh, rich, poor, hmm? so on and so forth. You see beyond them. You, you can love your neighbor hmm? as you love yourself. This, yourself you cannot really love, materially speaking. It won't allow you to. It will resist. It will die. So how can you love it? The self that I am so-and-so. I mean, the biological and psychological self. Hmm? When the Bible says you should love yourself as you love your neighbor, the question is, what is the self? Hmm? If you learn what the self is, a unit of consciousness, it's lovable. 
It's the very object of love in this world. Why do we love things? To the extent that we project ourselves into them by saying, this is my house, my car, my friend. The word my means I have projected myself into that bundle of matter, and therefore it's meaningful to me, because I'm in it. Hmm? So what's lovable is not the thing, it's, it's you. Jiva Goswami says the Atma is the object of love in this world. Hmm? It's what's lovable in this world. So you have a capacity to love. If you know yourself, then you can love your neighbor like yourself because there's no difference between yourself and your neighbor, as I said earlier. And beyond that, beyond universal compassion, which is a huge thing, there's a prospect of moving up the ladder in love, love of God. It doesn't end with compassion for the world. Because the world ends, well, it comes and goes. It never ends in one sense. But, but spiritual life is about ending it for you hmm? and entering into to the meditative world and there and loving within there. So there's not a lot of room for compassion there because everyone's liberated. Everyone's perfect. Compassion is for this world. Hmm? So therefore there's fraternal love. There's servile love, there's fraternal love, there's parental love, there's, there's romantic love for Krishna. Hmm? For Vishnu, there's reverential love. For Krishna, there's friendly love. There's romantic love. There's parental love. He, that's why he's defined as the perfect object of love, because all forms, expressions of love, can be experienced in relation to him in transcendence. Hmm? But to go there, hmm? where? Where is this world? Where is this fantasy place? You have to weigh in on how f- much of fantasy the world that you're in now is. Hmm? The one you're constantly trying to get out of, where are you trying to go? Hmm? You're constantly trying to make it better, change it. Hmm? You're, you, why are you doing that? Hmm? Because you have an inherent sense that there's more, that, that it could be, because you are of that nature. You are of the nature of consciousness. Hmm? It is. It's perfect. Hmm? Hmm? And what you know by your thinking, what you see by your senses, what you hear by your ears, you could say, well, if I could see God, I could believe him. Hmm? I could, if God would appear, then I could believe him. But God is saying, your senses are imperfect. Your eye, what you could see with your eyes is nothing. What you can think with your brain is not, with your, with your mind is, is so insignificant. Stopping thinking affords you so much more knowing than thinking does. I mean, we're like looking at a fence and there's a little hole in it. You know, and we're trying to figure, see the world. What's what's out there? What's re- what's reality? That's the the limitations of the senses. You think about what? Okay, with our eyes we see forms, right? So beauty is perceived by the eye, right? Now, how much do you think this fleshy thing can can reveal beauty? 
That's why the gopis are saying, when it blinks, it's like my heart. My heart is like stopped. What I'm. It means there's an object of beauty that transcends what this fleshy eye or what sound. Find the best sound you can you can find in this world. Everybody got a favorite song or a few of them? We'll play them for a while. <laughs> Go ahead. Play it for a while. Keep playing. You'll break that record. You'll throw that thing out. You'll just drive you nuts, right? Hmm? There are sounds that aren't like that. Hmm? Now, there's philosophy underneath it that, that causes you to keep chanting them, even when they don't do what they're purported to do at first. But we have examples of people who utter those sounds, like Hare Krishna, hmm? and 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 they they almost can't stop uttering them. They, they have to keep talking about these things. Just, uh, they, they, there's they, there's no ending to that. Hmm? Hmm? So Krishna says, "My abode is is one in which you cannot one which cannot be known by the senses. You have to understand." The senses are affording you an experience of a realm that that you want to get away from, even while you're pursuing it. Hmm? Hmm? Well, my abode is the nature of the nature of 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 uh, is such that it's beyond the mind, beyond the the uh, speech, beyond words. It's and he uses luminary examples, the moon, mind, fire, speech, um, the sun, sight. And he, and he says, it's self-luminous. Hmm? It's self-luminous means it's all-knowing. Hmm? Light is luminosity is compared to knowing. You know, you see that graphic light bulb goes off in his head. So, light, luminosity. Hmm? Knowing it's self-luminous, and going there, one never returns. So it's not temporary, like everything in this world that we're attached to. That's the cause of all the all of our problems and all our suffering. Going there, one never returns. It means in how you go there. You go there. That's what bhakti yoga was about by loving Krishna. Hmm? By loving Krishna, you develop... The fact that we have a mental-emotional life is something that we should think about. We have a mental-emotional life, and it's the life, it's the meaningful part of our life. The physical part of our life is, is, is only meaningful because we have a mental and emotional life, to think about it, to experience it, to, and so on and so forth. That mental-emotional life is, however, limited, because that mental-emotional life that gives meaning to our life, hmm, is focused on the physical reality and derived from it, from focusing on it. So we have a mental emotional life that's our meaningful life, hmm, derived from our mind's focus on the physical world. But the physical world, limited as it is, being here today, gone tomorrow, and all of its manifestations, hmm, makes my meaningful life, mental-emotional life, limited at the same time. Hmm? But it's meaningful comparatively 
to the physical world unto itself. We call it psychic matter. And the reason that it has this mental, affords us this mental emotional experience of meaning and value is because it has the capacity to reflect pure consciousness itself. Hmm? So pure consciousness itself, that Brahman, that Atman, hmm, the self, hmm, has the potential for having an emotional life. In transcendence is the idea. Hmm? It has an emotional life by identifying with the mind, which in turn is identified with the physical world. Hmm? If we can turn our chitta, our conscious material organ, subtle organ that consciousness manifests in, in the direction of Krishna, hmm? through acts of bhakti, which are the acts which we do every day for ourselves. Bhakti is rishikena rishikesha sevanam, bhakti ruchite. What do we do every day? We, we serve our senses. We serve our tongue. We serve our ears. I think I'll play some music now. We serve our eyes. I'd like to go here. Let's see the forest. Hmm? This is what we do. So it's not hard to do bhakti. You just, rather than serve your own senses, you use your senses to serve Krishna's senses. This is bhakti. Hmm? Hmm? And the opportunity to do that comes from the sacred text. So bhakti is descending. And as you do it, an emotional life of bhakti arises. But it's focused on the transcendent reality of Krishna, so it doesn't have the same problems or limitations that the mental-emotional life does when focused on matter. Hmm? And one of the results of that is, as he says, going into that abode, that place, that realm, one never returns. There's no returning from there. Hmm? He's not saying, well, some people fall from there, but the ones who go there, who haven't been there, they never return. He's saying the nature of the place is, it's not a place in which there is attachment to things that don't endure. Hmm? There's no things that don't endure there. Hmm? That cause suffering and make me want to get away from it. As I said, this world we're always trying to get away from. Why there's no leaving there? Hmm? Why there's no, no returning from Krishna's abode? I've just answered that. You understand? Hmm? Why we always want to get out of this world? Because we're attached to things that don't endure and, 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 we, and it's, causing, it's, it's causing suffering. There's no suffering. Hmm? It's happy. It's blissful. It's a loving environment. There's no reason to leave there. There's no... It's, it's the antithesis. Hmm? Hmm? So going there, one never returns. It's not that just somebody who goes there who was here never comes back, but those who have never been here will come down. It, it, that makes no sense whatsoever. The reason, there's a reason one never returns from there. That has to be understood. What is its nature? And we can understand that very readily by way of comparison. And that's how this chapter begins, as I said, by looking at the material existence, the nature of it, and why we're trying to get away from it, if you will, without realizing that, hmm? without thinking it out. And we're unsuccessful. Hmm? So here's an opportunity to be successful in that. This is the idea. So it's very positive, I must say. It's very encouraging, very optimistic for us. Hmm? There's a place of no return. 
There is, there is, there is, at the end of the rainbow, there is a pot of gold. At the base of the tree, the banyan tree, that's turned upside down, at the base of the tree, there's a treasure. Hmm? And this chapter says, go and find it. Hmm? It culminates in the person of Krishna. Hmm? And he's not alone there. Hmm? So many siddhas. And their company is as good or better than his, practically. Hmm? Theirs, theirs is the, their example is the one we follow. Hmm? You can rely on them. So a few words about Bhagavad Gita. Srimad Bhagavad Gita Ki Jai. Jai.